When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. All right, welcome into a little Mackie and Judd happy hour here on this Sunday night, recapping The Last Dance, episodes 7 and 8. I'm Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad in the house, Declan Goff. What did you, for, right off the bat, first impressions of episodes seven and eight, gentlemen, what'd you guys think? Okay, quick question. What made you, what brought you closer to uh, tears or, or had you welling up more, the end of episode seven or eight? Because the present day Jordan, at the end of episode seven, talking about his, his competitiveness, uh, when, when he starts basically crying and says, mm-hmm. that's it, it was phenomenal. So, like, both the end of both of these episodes to me were just so powerful. To, to uh, flashback, of course, to the championship they won against the Supersonics back in 96, and his dad uh, had died, and that was his first championship without his dad. But there's something about him talking about the his competitiveness and choking up about that and saying, okay, we're done, which to me was just really, really powerful. I mean, real quick, like I, I, I thought the end of the first episode, the end of or the first episode tonight, the end of episode seven was such a great glimpse into how he just hasn't been able to free himself at all from his career. Like he is still battling mentally with everything. And like even though the guy won six championships and he's regarded as the greatest basketball player of all time, the fact that he like still thinks back to little moments and little things and gets emotional about it. And if it just feels like other players are much more free and detached from their careers. And 20 years later, he's very clearly not. And it's fascinating. It's almost kind of sad, right? It, it kind of reminds me of the nature boy documentary where you just saw yeah. this guy who was kind of cr- like, unfortunately crippled by his past for the bet for better and for worse. And I, I mean, to answer Judd's question, it was definitely, I thought more emotional at the end of episode eight, just because of, you know, how crazy that must have been for him to come back. And then his dad's been there every step of the way for every accolade he's had in his entire life. And then that realization that sets in as even um, someone like myself and even Phil and Judd, all of us actually have lost a parent at some point in our lifetime. And you you kind of re- you're remembering of those memories of of how hard it can be sometimes, even when most days are good. Unfortunately, there's those moments that bring you back to where you're at your lowest and I think Michael saw that. And I think that's what I really like is you get to see a little bit more human from him on that side because that's obviously true emotion. Yeah, I mean, like, 
in the end, it's really hard to get over the death of a parent, especially when it happens suddenly or when they're younger than than you would have would have expected them to 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 die. And so the fact that he really, when you boil it all down, those the the year and a half when he was out of basketball and and, and played for uh, the White Sox Double A affiliate, like he's just trying to figure out how to live life after losing a parent. We're like we we can all relate to that, maybe not in the same way that he did, but. I found that very relatable today, for sure. So I, I think too that now that that we're uh, what with uh, two episodes, which is hard to believe, only two episodes left. I think where this documentary has succeeded too, though, is is you now have such a good glimpse into why Jordan is who he is, and and to go back to the two episodes that we watched, uh, what five and six last week. And the fact that that you know why didn't he do more? What why didn't he try and involve himself in in politics and things? And I think the guy who was crying at the end of episode seven is sort of a tip off of that. He didn't care about those things. Like all he cared about, it. LeBron James, for as great as LeBron is, I think LeBron cares about a lot of things in life. Like I think there's a lot of of things that LeBron probably might not put as an equal with basketball, but if they're not an equal, you guys, they're damn close, right? And so LeBron James is a guy who cares about, um, I think he cares about politics. I think he cares about the world more. The reality, and I don't see this as a bad thing, but the reality of Michael Jordan is he cared about one thing, and he still cares about one thing, and that is trying to win at every turn. And is that a fault? Yes, that's a fault. But that's him. That That's his wiring. And so I really think now we've gotten such a good glimpse of for all of those who said, why didn't he involve himself in the politics of North Carolina when he could have and could have made a difference? Folks, the answer is he didn't give a damn. He didn't. <laughs> and, and I think that's why he was crying at the end of episode seven tonight, because like, like here's my thing. OK, if somebody came to you and said you are going to be a professional athlete, and you are potentially going to be despised or not liked by your teammates and by opponents, you're going to be super respected, but not liked. But the reality is of this is I'm going to give you a block of three championships here, and you're going to play the key role. And then I'm going to give you a block of three more. And the question is to basically be perceived as a bad person by some, and I'm not saying he's a bad person, but to be perceived negatively by some, that's the price in Michael Jordan's world. I think he is. I think he knows because he's over 50 now. I think he knows what his faults are. But I also think that he very much went down the path of saying to himself, this is what I wanted. Mm -hmm. What did you guys make of? Because they did a nice little 10 minute deep dive into basically what Judge just said, which is, hey, he's kind of a bleep hole. And weighing, you know, weighing the cost of winning versus the cost of relationships and, and reputation as a nice guy. Um, what did you guys make of the the back and forth there? Just t- the producers talking to a bunch of his former teammates and trying to weigh, okay, like how much of a good guy is he versus a winner? I think, you know, we all know that he was an insane competitor, but I think we had never been able really to see into the glimpse of who he really was as a teammate. And to be honest, he was an a-hole. I mean, he really, I mean, we all kind of had those feelings, but to hear him just belittle Steve Kerr and for him also to recognize like, man, I just like picked on the smallest guy on the team. And even I can recognize, I can't act like that. But even there's guys like Bill Cartwright and others who said they looked back on it and they're like, well, 
I kind of understand why he did that. And would it be a, it, what I'm fascinated by is it te- definitely would not be allowed today. Like I, I know there's Jimmy Butler's and there's diet versions of Michael with the mentality at least, but I don't think we could with with the age of technology and with so much information out there, we would hear it all the time. I mean that Jimmy Butler practice was so infamous, and that was let's be honest, a meaningless practice in December for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Imagine what it would be like if you're the Chicago Bulls and you're the best team of basically of any sport in a generation. And you have a leader who is belittling people at no cost. And and I, I, I'm fascinated that so many people and other teammates were kind of looked at it and like, you know what, he was actually right. Because I don't think today it would be able it would translate too well. I would add too, oh, real quick. Like I, yeah. I I don't think I'm I'm not one of these guys that says like this generation. Like I hate when people play the yeah. this generation is soft car. But like honestly, I don't think this generation of players would handle being berated and belittled in practice like Michael Jordan's teammates did. I think those guys just sort of took it, kept it behind closed doors and then continued forward. Whereas now like somebody would demand to be tra- like Pippen would demand to be traded or something. Yeah. Not well he did I guess, but not for those reasons. Kobe though did it and and I think the difference is, so the Butler thing is where, where we never should confuse with Jimmy Butler's means to like a Jordan or Kobe. Mm-hmm. It, Michael did it to win. Butler is a selfish, um, me, me, me person. Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, at the end of the day, doesn't care about wins. He cares about himself. Jordan, and but but here here's the genius too that I don't think Jordan gets to this, this day. And it goes to what what Mackie has talked about in regards to Phil Jackson for a long time. The genius is Jordan knew that the end game of riding his teammates as hard as possible was going to get them to where he felt because he said this if we're you know if if you can't take it from me can you take it from the crowd at the garden back then or from the pacers and reggie miller at that time and the answer is no but the genius is think about how what what phil jackson did though to manipulate jordan to manipulate the team because it was phil jackson who basically decided i'm going to call ticky tack fouls he didn't do that to punish Michael Jordan he did it because he knew it would send him over the cliff mm-hmm. and so so Michael Jordan definitely puts a lot of championships on Phil Jackson's coaching resume I get that but Phil Jackson also had the puppet strings on Jordan and so I mean that's the genius here the genius is the trickle down of I'm going to do this to you because I know what you're going to do you're going to do, do that and you're a great player so it's going to help eventually a guy like as Steve Kerr. And I do think the one thing that you can do if you do it in the right way and manipulating is probably the wrong word. It's what you do, but it's probably, but it's, I think it's seen as a uh, negative word, but if you manipulate people the right way through the means that they did, like with the Kerr, that's how, that's how you basically find out who can do this and who can't. Well, the Phil, the Phil Jackson stuff's interesting in that at one point, I can't remember at what point, I think it was during episode seven and Phil Jackson was sort of referring to a conversation he had with Michael Jordan one time saying, listen, like your responsibility is obviously to lead the team and push them and, and to be an ultra competitor, but also to lead the camaraderie of the team. And just that balance of trying to drag more, more guys down. I think, I think Jordan's leadership style was to pull people rather and and Phil Jackson's leadership style was to push or to sort of, set a vision and then allow people to operate within 
and you know the two of them and Kobe Bryant kind of the same way the two of them together I think it worked obviously I mean obviously it worked really well but I think I don't think you can find a better yin and yang of great leaders than Phil Jackson and and Michael Jordan I don't think either one of them experiences nearly the championship success without the other as they did probably not and and the story too of the, the year that Jordan was gone at, in the playoff game, I think it was game two of the playoff series where they draw the play up for Kukoc and it's not going to go to Pippen and Pippen says, peace out, which was by the way, a great glimpse into that. Uh, and, and I can't believe that Pippen's response was to this day, I would do the same thing. Wait, what was that all yeah, about? Dude, no, no, you wouldn't. You but would. anyway, but what a great glimpse that was into, this was the guy who replaced Jordan, right? And he was Jordan's replacement. And I think his teammates liked him and looked up to him. And in a moment, just like that, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Where if the play hadn't been for Jordan, Jordan would, would have been like, F this, right? And so they're doing a great job, I think, of sort of telling us who these people were and and what their faults were and what their strengths were. And there's no question that these Bulls teams that won championships, it's not just the on-the-court greatness. It's sort of the mentality of how things worked and how Jordan pushed people and how some people could take that and some couldn't. And my guess is those who frankly couldn't take it got weeded out fairly quickly because you're no good to them then. I think I think a lot less of Scottie Pippen after watching this documentary than why I did. Why did he say that though? Like, why would you come back and say that? But even like the like the fact thing. like the fact that he signed that that weird seven year contract and then sat out and and threw a tan- temper tantrum at the beginning of you know the ninety seven season like just like there's so many things about Pippen that make me just like I you know I I still think he's one of the greatest players of all time, but I think it's pretty obvious why he wasn't ever the leader of a franchise, right? He was always sort of the sidecar guy and his actions throughout a lot of these different parts of the documentary. And, and even like him reflecting back is sort of like, Oh, whatever. Like I would have done the same thing with my knee surgery or whatever. The, I right. would have done the same, like, okay, dude. All right. Were you guys surprised like that? This has come out more about Scottie Pippen. Cause obviously I was too young to remember the bulls, but I knew who Scottie Pippen was even when I started becoming a sports fan, but I'm shocked at the level of stuff that has really come out more about Scottie and obviously Jerry Krause, it's almost like Michael is like the third most important, not most important person, but you're learning so much more about people outside of Michael Jordan. And I had no idea this was coming throughout the documentary. I, I think it's fair too, Declan, to ask yourself this question. How, how much of a Jordan's influence behind the scenes on this documentary is to sort of paint things? I mean, there is no question that there is an agenda to make Jerry Krause look like a complete ass. Like everything he does... Uh, his whole thing with Kukoc, number seven, for those of you who don't know, you know, in Europe, it's a big deal to wear number seven. It was mm-hmm. sort of odd. Um, and I think what Jordan, and in Pippen's defense a little bit, I think Jordan's goal here is to sh- is to show you beyond a shadow of a doubt that without Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen would have been a good player, but not a championship player. Mm-hmm. I think there are things that we're probably not thinking through here that Michael played a big role in sort of demonstrating how this was going to go because yeah, I, I feel like since it feels like in episodes one and two, perhaps Pippen did look pretty good, but since then it's sort of gone downhill. And I wonder if that's Michael saying, Hey, I, I want to make it very clear that without me, Scotty's a nice player, but he's not a championship caliber player. Yeah. Listen, I'm not on the Ken Burns side of the argument where any documentary that doesn't explore equally both sides is not worthy of publication. Like I'm not on, I'm not on that. Ken Burns level. apologized too. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. He apologized. to this. Okay. 
Jason Hare, I think he came and, and said, I'm sorry, I really shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it was just really silly. But you're starting to see some of some of the little examples of Michael Jordan getting final call on the edits, like yeah. when they dove into the gambling stuff and the conspiracy theories about his dad's death. Right? They like a- Andrea Kramer was on camera, and like they they ran like a two or three minute montage of people speculating on, you know, was he, you know, what was it gambling related? Was there a hit out on Jordan's family or something? Well, did he get suspended for eighteen months? And then. Jordan gets the last word to respond in all yeah. of the edits, right? So like you're 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 like you're seeing a lot of, you know, okay. Th- then you get to the Gary Payton part, and you know this is <laughs> this is this is how I, you know, this is how I, um, you know, threw Jordan off his game in the 1997 or whatever 1996 finals, and then like, but like Jordan comes in and gets the last word, just making fun and clowning on Gary Payton. So yeah. it is like you can you can start to see now after eight episodes, like. They definitely present both sides, but then Jordan gets the final dunk on almost. And Jordan gets to laugh. Yeah. Jordan gets to pick up the tablet and laugh hysterically. Yeah. I have a problem with the glove. Okay. Yeah. By the yeah. way, just quickly, for the record, I miss the Supersonics. Oh, they're great! All this, <laughs> all these jersey nostalgia. There's so much jersey nostalgia here. The Hornets warm up jerseys. I'll have to. I'll take all. I take a whole closet right now. I just cleaned out my closet today. I would take a whole closet of Charlotte Hornet jersey stuff. I just missed the Supersonics. It, it was a great team. It was a great team name. They had fun players. Um, hey, how about how the baseball part to me showed you how tough baseball is? When, when basically you, you had everybody who knows a thing about baseball saying it was incredible. He hit two hundred two. Dude, he. I I, legitim- I legitimately think I and a couple couple baseball people like including Terry Francona, which by the way I had no idea that Terry Francona was his Double A manager. That's amazing. Yeah. But I actually agree. I think so. He had 500 at bats in his only season in the minor leagues, batted 202. I honestly think if you would have given him like another 1,000 at bats or so, just to like get used to breaking balls and whatnot, I don't think he would have been a great major leaguer. But I think he probably could have at least like held his own for a season in the major leagues. I I, I do I do buy fully into that. Do you think without the strike he continues playing? <sighs> Like, because they want him to cross the picket line. He said no in ni- in spring of 95, and that sort of blew the whole thing up. Do you yeah. think we had a 94, you know, World Series played, and then he can pick things up in the spring of 95, and, you know, let's say it goes back to double-A or triple-A. Do you think he continues playing? I think he continues playing for at least the next season. I don't think he comes back, and, like, I don't think the, the double-nickel game happens. Like, I think he continues playing and then makes a decision sometime probably in the fall Maybe he comes back like middle of that 95, 96 season. But, you know, would Dennis Rodman have, if, if that happens and Jordan eventually does come back, but he waits, does Rodman play for the Bulls? You know, like think about the butterfly effect. Yeah. If that, if the major league baseball strike doesn't happen, Jordan probably plays basketball again, but I don't know if Dennis Rodman comes back to the Bulls, you know, or comes to the Bulls. Comes to the Bulls. Yeah. You're probably um, right. One other thing. And then we can, we can put a wrap on this and then save some of this for, the longer show tomorrow on Mackie and Judd, by the way, podcastable, Apple, Spotify, score.com. The LeBradford Smith anecdote <laughs> was the, unbelievable. He basically made up a story about LeBradford Smith putting his arm around him and saying, nice game, Mike, to mock him. And then years later confirms, yeah, I made that up. So there, there were three stories, um, I, I think, between the two episodes tonight that painted again this whole Jordan thing of I'm going to – I'm basically going to um, – in my mind, create a you versus me. 
or Bradford Smith, which, which is great that it's it's universally known that that story was all BS. Um, <laughs> there was Nick Anderson stealing the ball from him in the playoffs where the Magic won and saying 45 is no 23, I believe. And then he came back the next game. But I think my favorite is the 95 final against the, the uh, Sonics. It's Ahmad Rashad and Jordan at a restaurant and George Carl's at like a, a table down the way. Mm-hmm. And George Carl, who's a fellow Carolina guy, just walks by and doesn't say hi, which, by the way, is something that Michael Jordan or Kobe would have done. No question. Right. And Jordan's like, bleep him. I can't believe that. I'll show him. Like, think about making that up again. Think about the pettiness of being able to make up in your mind. That's something that you would do. You yourself would do. But was a slight to you. Like, it's very possible George Carl just wanted to give Michael Jordan a little bit of privacy at dinner, you know? Like, <laughs> he's, a, he's a psychopath, man. He's insane. Dude, he, I'm, I'm all he's for a it. But he's, yeah, he's yeah. a lunatic. He's insane. It's amazing. So, all right, we, we'll have more thoughts on this on the Mackie and Judd podcast on Monday. Also, WrestleMania Rewind oh, in yeah. play on Monday. I can't and... wait for you guys. That's going to be good. <laughs> and we'll be pumping out more of these happy hours as the uh, the days and the weeks commence. So, all right, I'm Phil Mackey. That's Judd Zolgad. That's Declan Goff. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody.